We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated on Fan Nation. And today in our episode of the Ducks Dish podcast, we're talking about Dan Lanning's introductory press conference. Got to meet the man himself uh, on Monday in Eugene. And joining me on this episode of the pod, we got Stephen Blanchett to talk some ducks. How we doing, man? Thanks for being here. What's going on, Max? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. How you doing? I'm great. Excited to talk some ducks. It's been a, a cold day in Eugene. It feels like we're in the Arctic uh, with the way that the weather's yep. been changing. I hopped on a pod just before this, actually, so it's been a very uh, rapid-fire day. Um, if you guys are watching in the live show, thank you so much for tuning in. Go ahead and uh, throw us some questions so that we can guide the show um in the live chat box or if you're watching on replay thanks so much for watching go ahead and drop a comment and let me know what your first impressions are of Oregon's new head coach Dan Lanning after seeing that presser yesterday so I think I'll start it there Stephen really open-ended question you know what what do you what did you make of, of yesterday's press conference and your initial impressions on Dan Lanning very positive initial impressions on coach Lanning I think that uh, I left the press conference with both a feeling of high hopes and high expectations, was, which is exactly what I was hoping to have happen with that presser, right? I think we got a, got a sense of the kind of fiery guy that we're getting in terms of him being young, his passion for the game. And I think really sky's the limit for this guy. I was really pleasantly surprised, honestly. What about you? Yeah, I, I, I echo a lot of those similar sentiments. Uh, I, I was really um, you know, excited about all the energy that he had. You know, I think in, in the moment I was, you know, really just focused on the actual press conference itself. But, you know, I've since listened back to it and I'm like, dang, I kind of just want to throw some pads on and, and get out there, even though I was a, I was never the best tackle football player in my high school days. But, um, man, yeah, he, you can tell how he's going to be he's going to be able to motivate these guys. No question about it. He's going to get the players excited. He looks he seems really relatable. And I think one of the biggest things that really stood out to me was how he kind of. I think he just addressed a lot of people's questions really well or anything they might have been skeptical about. I think one of the biggest questions that people had is this is his first first head coaching gig, right? You know, one of uh, one of my good buddies, Eric Scopel, he writes for 247 covering the Ducks. He had a really awesome question just about what what makes you ready for this? You know, you're only 35, it's your first job. Why do you think you're going to be able to to, you know, take this program where the players the boosters, the fans ultimately want it to go, which is a national championship game. And he was saying, you know, I don't have uh, a ton of experience as far as it goes, you know, with with uh, timing and everything, but I have really quality experience. You, know, you look at his time at Georgia and Alabama, learning under Mike Norvell at Memphis. And I think that that inspired a lot of confidence for me and, and a lot of the other people that were in attendance yesterday. I agree. I agree. I mean, he's from the saving coaching tree, coaching tree right? So we know that everybody who's from that tree, they all coach the same sort of way and they all recruit the same sort of way. They know how to get it done at the highest level of college football. Obviously learning under Kirby smart was huge for him. I mean, Mel Tucker, Mel Tucker was on that uh, staff over at Alabama as well. So this guy's been with proven winners uh, throughout his entire career. I think what gets lost for a lot of people is let's, let's, let's appreciate how far he's come at such a, young age. Right. I mean, I think that that shows that this guy's a real rock star. 
I don't think he would have been getting these positions that he's gotten unless he really had the football acumen that's ahead of his time. It sort of reminds me of sort of a defensive Sean McVay sort of situation uh, in terms of a real young head coach coming in there and getting the opportunity to put his stamp on a program that's pretty well established, right? Um, I think it's it's a it's a direction it's a clear indicator of where the program I think is going or where you know, Rob Mullins wants the program to go, right? I mean, first time it's been a hire that's outside of the program in the last four or five coaches since Rich Brooks, I believe. So it's, I think that we should appreciate how, you know, how far he's come in such a short amount of time and be excited about that. I agree with your earlier sentiment after that, after that presser, I just wanted to go hit some sleds, right? Throw on this helmet that I've got behind me and, uh, you know, take some snaps. He's a guy that you want to run through a brick wall for. And I think it really showed, especially when he was talking about the football specific questions that were thrown at him, you could see a sort of glint in his eye that came up, right? I mean, when he was going through the initial kind of thank yous to the program, I'm happy to be here, the boilerplate kind of stuff. And he, he was just a little less engaged, but then when the football questions came out, you could tell, it's like he said, my heart beats a little faster when I talk about football. You could tell that that's the kind of guy we're getting. And I think that's really going to resonate with this team. It's going to resonate with recruits. I think that, a really early indicator of that is the whole seven McGee situation and how that flipped on its head in about 90 minutes. So that was very encouraging to me. Um, I think also the retention that I heard today um, retaining Don Johnson for multiple years is going to be huge, right? Because he's not just some young gun who's coming in here and it's just completely cleaning house and trying to sweep under the rug, everything that's been done. He's trying to truly build off of that. And I think that's extremely important. Yeah. There, there's a lot of good points that, that you just mentioned. I liked what you said about, um, you know, maybe we do need to turn it on its head and, and, you know, from the skepticism that some people have, like, what does it say about him as a coach to, right. to be able to, to get to, to this point at, at such a young age, clearly he's doing things the right way. And, and he's been a lot around a lot of brilliant minds. Uh, Kirby Smart and Nick Saban are the biggest ones that, that people want to talk about. Um, but I also think that, um, you yeah, know, you talk about the retention, the reported retention of, of Don Johnson. I think that's really big because the players obviously really like him. I remember last night I was, uh, you know, editing that uh, Seven McGee story, and then I was actually in the kitchen making dinner, and my my buddy Jacob comes up to me and he's just holding his phone, and it's Seven's tweet saying that I'm staying, and then just from you know the the inner edit editor part of me, I was like, what is going on here? Like, why is it this this has never happened before? I feel like for or at least for it to happen that quickly, so you know, hopped in there and and made my changes to to update it. But I also really like the the situation that he's coming into, right? You know, you look at how Mario built out this program and, and the positions that, that he recruited at a really high level. Um, you look at guys in the trenches, especially on the offensive side of the ball and the offensive line. Um, there's a lot of proven depth there, which is great. Um, everybody except for, uh, let's see, we got George Moore is going to be moving on. And then uh, Amavai Lulu. Uh, big, uh, big offensive lineman. He's going to be moving on, but there's guys that, that are ready to take that bigger step um, because they've been doing all the cross training. They've been distributing those reps. I mean, I feel like that's probably the position that I'm most confident about moving forward that and the, the running backs. But I bring that up, Stephen, to say like Mario built this and, and, in a very good way as from a roster standpoint. Right. And you know that Lane's going to come in and take a pretty similar approach, right? You know, he's, he, we're all seeing the, the blueprint that that is work that is being, uh, you know, implemented here. Mario learned under Saban, and then he did that to the Oregon roster. So you're probably going to see some some pretty big similarities there as far as Lane's approach here on the recruiting trail. But yeah, I think that that's another part uh, that is worth talking about, right? With when you're talking about you know, people want to know what kind of a recruiter he is. We, we hear about the relentlessness and I think he's obviously going to be super relatable because he's so young. Um, and I think that when I look at the topic of recruiting and, and what is, what is uh, ahead of him and what Oregon needs to do, it starts with those guys on the roster and seven McGee is a phenomenal playmaker. We've seen it a lot already. I guess we've seen the flashes of it, flashes, but um, yeah. yeah, to have him back when we still don't know what's happening with Travis Dye and CJ Verdell, I, I think that's really big for the Ducks heading into next year. I think it's huge. Yeah. And I mean, let's be real. Seven McGee didn't have too many touches overall this year. Right. And so that's probably, I'm going to assume a pretty big reason why he initially made that call to go and transfer. And I think uh, Dan Lanning probably had a conversation with him, something along the lines of, I know what you've got. I see the talent in you and we're going to utilize it. Right. So 
that speaks volume. I mean, this guy just got here. He just got here. He, I, I doubt he knows Seven McGee too well, right? So being able to be able to have that conversation with him and not only just get him to say, okay, maybe I'll think about it, coach, but get him to flip back uh, and I guess recommit, right? I haven't seen something like this in such a quick time period ever really um it's definitely happened but right i mean it's just it, it was it was surprising how quick it turned and with recruiting i mean he's voracious right and he's going to get in there in these living rooms with these young kids and he's going to be more relatable with these guys and i love the confidence too right going yesterday in the press are saying we can get any player in the country we are going to go try to get every great player in this country like not shying down not saying not mentioning you know having to deal with the, the Lane Kiffin factor at SC and, you know, not having to Lincoln Riley or sorry. Yeah. Lincoln Riley. And then um, not being able to, or not just being out West and not being able to have these kids uh, from the Southeast, from Texas, that kind of thing, being able to easily come out into Eugene. I don't think that bugs him at all. I think he accepts that as a challenge and looks forward to it. So um, I was really enthused about what he was saying with that and just, regardless of all the reports of how voracious a recruiter he is. Um, I think it's, it's funny too. I saw a picture of him in a, in a recruits living room. Uh, I was recent with him, Kirby smart, obviously the recruit. And you could just tell by the picture, the difference in those two guys and coach smarts, a great coach. This is not a knock on Kirby smart, Uh, but Kirby smarts there in his loafers, his collared shirt, you know, his Georgia sweater (laughs) and, you know, Coach Lanning's in there with his Jordans or Nike, something swaggy on his feet. Dripped he, out. Uh, yeah, dripped out. Just super nice uh, hoodie, right? Like very relaxed. Uh, he's the one with his arm around the recruit, right? So, I mean, you can tell he's already the guy, at least at Jordan, it seemed like. I bet he was leading a lot of those conversations in those living rooms because he's probably a lot more relatable. So, I'm really excited. He reminded me in a lot of ways of a young Mario, like in terms of the, you know, brick by brick mentality. Uh, and again, appreciating what's here. I love that he made several points to to acknowledge what was already built here and being able to capitalize that. And I mean, we know how loaded this team is. They were 75% of their classmen last season. This team is loaded. They're set up for success. So we needed a guy who believes in that. He isn't going to come in and try to completely overall, overhaul everything. He's going to try to work with what the best things that we have, you know, on the roster now and then improve uh, with his process based on that. So I was really enthused about, every aspect of that recruiting kind of conversation, uh, both when he was asked about it and when he kind of brought it up in his introductory statement. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at when I was talking about, you know, the the blueprint that, that uh, you know, Mario and him are obviously going to be working from and, and how good of a situation it is for him to walk into from a personnel standpoint. Um, and, and that's another part of uh, kind of what you were saying about him saying, uh, you know, we want to develop these guys and we want to run schemes that are appealing for, for players to play in that's going to draw people in. And, uh, you know, when they're here, we want to maximize on their strengths and, you know, run our kind of schemes like that. So a um, bunch of great stuff there, Steven. We're starting to get some comments and questions here. So want to make sure I uh, address some of these. Nick says, I believe landing is the right choice to keep the Oregon Ducks rolling. Loved his press conference. Can't wait to see who he gets from the transfer portal. Let's go Ducks. Yeah, the transfer portal is going to be big. Uh, I think just with with regard to early signing period coming, uh, you know, less than 24 hours here, we're recording this on a Tuesday evening. Um, I think it's, it's kind of going to be important for, for Oregon to, and maybe Oregon fans, I guess, in particular to kind of reset the expectations a little bit. That's not like any, I'm not saying that's a slight for landing at all, but just look at the timing, right? You have such a tremendous amount of talent coming off the board tomorrow and over these next couple of days that, um, you know, you're, it's already kind of a limited situation as far as that goes, just because of the calendar, but the transfer portal is going to be huge. We can talk more about that later here in the show. Christopher says, I'm liking the hire, super excited for the potential ceiling. That's, a, I think, kind of more of what you and I were thinking about, Stephen, with just how young he is and um, all of the, the great experience that he's already, already had. Um, let's see. So then our first question is also from Christopher. Uh, they, he asks, uh, so what are the thoughts on keeping Salavea, BMAC, and other studs already on the staff? This is obviously, I'd say, the most pressing questions right now because um, we're already seeing you know, reports and rumors of, of some staff members following Mario to Miami. I think the most prominent is probably Alex Mirabal. He's a Miami guy. He's Mario's right-hand man. That probably shouldn't surprise anybody. Um, and then Ken Wilson's getting a head coaching job at Nevada. Uh Let's see, we've got DeRuiter going to Texas Tech to head that defense. Marcel Yates is following him to Texas Tech. Um, I think those are the the biggest ones. Um, 
that kind of come to mind. But I think BMAC is probably one of the most important guys to keep on this staff. When you look at the the caliber of wide receivers that he he's brought, I feel like this transition in the coaching staff is kind of an opportunity to reset and really hopefully get a good offense in place that that can utilize uh, a lot of these awesome weapons that they have. But to Joe Salavea's credit too, he he's uh, he's done a tremendous job with the defensive line. Um, I think they've been pretty solid. Uh, you look at Brandon Dorless, Kayvon Thibodeau, who's obviously kind of bouncing back and forth between backers and linemen. But I think that those would be two great guys to keep on the staff. What are your thoughts on that, Steven? I agree. I think both of them are people I'd like to see retained, uh, specifically BMAC, just because when you're thinking about that receiver room, I think one of the big complaints among the fan base, at least, was that we didn't air it out this year, right? And we have so much talent in the receiving core where – where's the big throws where are the numbers and so that guy helped get him there and i think and and i think that uh you know landing said he's going to air it out right so i'm really excited for these receivers to you know get their opportunity uh to really show really show the talent that they've got um so i think retaining bmac is going to be big with just keeping that receiver room where it needs to be but also keeping uh recruiting you know at a high level in that receiver position and then salve yeah i mean what he's done with the defensive line is really incredible. I mean, KT's probably, he's definitely going to be a top five pick, right? Potentially number one. So that kind of speaks for itself in his resume. Dorless has, I think, a really high ceiling in terms of potential. So I would like to see them both at the same time. I, I Just based off the presser, I kind of trust Lanning to bring in some additional help where he might need it, right? I mean, we spoke about it earlier offline. If if the University of Oregon, which is widely viewed at this moment as a stepping stone job for a head coach, becomes a coordinator factory for people to take coordinators uh, after successful runs, I think that's fantastic. I would take that any day. So I also trust him to kind of bring some youth and new blood in, but at the same time, you've got to build with the best blocks that you've got in the house. Right. And I think BMAC and Salave are both, both fall into that category. So I'd love to see them both retained. Totally agree. And then Michael O'Brien, uh, thanks for the question, Michael, any details on his contract yet? Years, salary, opt out clauses, Nike jet, <laughs> you know, he's going to have 24, 24, seven access to the, the Nike jet. I mean, that's gotta be, I think that's just, uh, you know, kind of assumed at this point with uh, how, how relentless the recruiting efforts have been. But uh, let's see if I can share my screen and uh, get some of these the contract stuff here. Um, so hopefully that's showing up all right. But um, so the biggest question I think a lot of people have is the buyout. So we're seeing it here. This is a you know public record uh, from the University of Oregon. And that first year, it's $14 million. And then it uh, you know decreases gradually over um, you know the rest of his contract. And then we can also look at uh, the terms here, you know, the the numbers, the money that everyone wants to look at uh, throughout his contract. Uh, let's see. Okay, yeah, here it is. So six-year deal. The total I added it all up so it comes out to six years, $29.1 million. And then uh, you have your various incentives here. Obviously, as you can see there on your screen, um, this is all for, um, you know, at least the, the first ones up here are all for, you know, uh, appearances. Um, and I think that... Um, yeah, you can see here, you know, winning the college football playoff national championship, you can just get even more money, uh, more money. And then uh, some of the benchmarks here as we kind of make our way down here. But I think another benefit that people maybe aren't uh, or uh, isn't uh, talked about enough is with him being such a young guy, I feel like there's not as much of an expectation for having a larger uh, contract since he's a, you know, first time head coach. So the good thing about that is that you can use some of that money that you might have paid Mario, say, if he were to stay. I think the reported contract was 10 years, $85 million. This is quite a bit less than that. So, you know, you can use all, uh, not all of it, but, you know, use a, a decent chunk of that money to hopefully go out and get some pretty fire uh, coordinators. Yep, I agree. What, all, what you can also do with that additional money is, let's say, you know, fingers crossed, he has some real immediate huge success year one, year two, and maybe some other, there is some news about potential other places calling, then you use, you can use that to be able to maybe give him a new, new deal up his compensation a little bit. Uh, like we saw with Mario after he won that Pac-12 title. And I believe at that time he was the 11th highest paid coach in the Pac-12. So, oh, so it was clear that, yeah, it was clear that we needed to change that immediately. So I think that that's also something that we could use in that fund, so to speak. Absolutely. All right, let's see here. So hopefully, uh, you know, if you guys are watching on the, the YouTube live stream, you can go back and see, you know, some of the, the fine print here in the contract uh, for Oregon's new head coach, Dan Lanning. 
Thanks for the question, Michael. I know that was the, some big news today coming out of Eugene was uh, about his contract. Uh, so people were talking about that. And then Alyssa's uh, comment here. I really like this. Alyssa says, it's awesome to see some recruits postponing slash keeping their decision instead of flipping and current players staying instead of transferring. It's awesome. Uh, yeah, couldn't agree more. You know, I think after Mario left, I mean, the fallout was just immediate, right? You know, you just saw people uh, decommitting left and right. Um, and really, it felt like that uh, as far as, you know, where these guys are located, it really felt like that national brand was kind of evaporating right before our eyes, right? You saw Landon Holoby, Kelvin Banks, Cameron Williams, all decommitted. Those guys are all coming out of Texas. You have Banks and Williams and the time since committing to Texas. And then Landon Hullaby, um, it looks like he's actually going to be making his decision tomorrow. I saw that uh, on Twitter before we hopped in this uh, podcast, Stephen, that uh, it was a picture of him uh, in an Oregon uniform and then him in a Texas Tech uniform, uh, you know, saying stay tuned tomorrow, something along those lines. So um, I, I haven't talked to him in a while, but I kind of feel like the writing's on the wall with DeRuiter and Yates going to Texas Tech. Um, but, you know, who, who's to say for sure it's not a done deal, but as far as what Alyssa is saying here, I think it's great because you have an opportunity if these guys are staying committed or even if they're not uh, signing and they're, if they're uncommitted. So if they're committed and they're not signing tomorrow, or if they're uncommitted and they're not making their final decision tomorrow, that's a window open for Dan Lanning and the rest of the staff, which is so crucially important considering that he has to uh, be in Georgia, you know, help them with the playoff prep. Yep. I agree. Uh, for the, there's a, there's a handful of guys who obviously decided instead of completely decommitting that they were just announcing that they wouldn't sign tomorrow. Obviously you'd like them to sign tomorrow, but again, you hit the nail on the head. It gives Dan Lanning that window to get in there and be able to talk to those recruits. And based off of the short list of evidence we've got so far with his communication with Oregon players and Oregon related, you know, personnel, I think he's going to do good or do, do well with that. So um, I'm excited that he does get that window. I think it's going to be fruitful for us. And again, um, everybody loses guys. And I think it's like you said, when, when Mario first left for about 24, 48 hours, it felt like the walls or the, it was just, everything was falling down, right. Losing people left and right. I was, I was real worried about overall the state of what the, the 2022 or the, the next class was going to be as well as the current roster. And so uh, I think that those kind of huge fears have been put to rest for the most part. Uh, now we have to capitalize off that, right? I think that if we get this opportunity for him to go into these recruits houses and, you know, talk to him and try to convince him to come back and sign on that dotted line for us and he goes over, then, okay, maybe that might be a tad cause for concern. But I, I think the main thing to focus on here is look, this year, recruiting-wise, is not going to be a top five class just based off what's already gone. We have to accept that. Let's focus on what's already on the roster, which, again, is a very young and talented roster, and then the following season uh, or the following class of recruits. I think that's going to be the biggest thing because that's when he gets his first. This class upcoming isn't Dan Lanning's class. It's the leftover crumbs of Mario Cristobal's class talented crumbs though they may be so um so next the year after the following season is really going to be where we see him you know him nose to the grindstone in terms of you know what's what he what kind of recruiter he really is and can he get people uh that are over on over in the south in texas florida that georgia area his past recruiting pipeline if he can get them to come out west Definitely. Yeah, I think that was one of the tough things about the departure of, of for Cristobal is as good as that 2022 class was um, at the time that he left. I feel like it had something to be desired as far as the recruiting optics overall, because you see those top, top programs pushing it ahead into 2023 already. And it felt like Oregon was just about to, you know, kind of cross that threshold yeah. of, OK, we have a really solid 2022 group. Let's take it a step further and push ahead. That you know, you see the programs like uh, Georgia, Oklahoma, Notre Dame doing that um, on a pretty regular basis. So um, that was kind of just a, a secondary uh, little tidbit that I kind of wanted to say there. And then uh, Chunky Monkey had a question. Frequent uh, listener, viewer of the podcast, appreciate the question and, and uh, you tuning in. After his first Oregon Press conference, what are your impressions on how he'll be with you guys, the media, uh, weekly, and post game interviews? Uh, I, I thought it was great. I mean, the uh, this is definitely a good question because you can kind of tell a lot, I feel like, uh, about a coach, you know, with how they interact with the media. You know, uh, that was one of the biggest things I was kind of learning uh, once I actually got out here and, and 
ultimately got to talk to Mario in person with the rest of the reporters. You know, what kind of questions do they enjoy? Uh, which ones do they deflect on? Or do they just uh, like, you know, I, I learned with Mario, you know, if he if he didn't like your question, he would kind of attack how you phrased it. Um, so it's just all, you know, kind of a, a learning experience. But I was talking with uh, Brooks Austin, who who runs our Georgia site for SI. And he was saying that, you know, they only get to talk to the coordinators like once or twice, like a year, like hardly at all. And we were getting to talk to Mario Moorhead and DeRuiter, uh at the top of every week. So uh, he was saying he was excited to see kind of what uh, landing was like in his conference. And I think he's going to be great. I mean, he, you can tell he's a guy who's super, super excited for the opportunity. And um, I think he probably views it as an opportunity to prove himself, even though he's been at some really good schools it's one thing to run one side of the ball. It's a totally different thing when you're running the entire organization, the entire program. So I think he's going to be, you know, pretty, um, pretty good with the, with the media as far as, you know, being, you know, uh, willing to talk and, and kind of excited to, to answer questions. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, kind of got to see how things develop and, you know, uh, how do, how do coaches interact after a loss or after, you know, there's some, some hardship they're going with, you know, that's obviously uh, another dynamic that uh, is going to be on the table. Yeah. I think Mario definitely got a little prickly at points <laughs> with the media, you could say. And I think you, you Such an interesting word to use. Yeah. I was, I was trying to think of the right, right way to phrase it. Um, like sometimes I would get a little just Ugh, when he would respond, you know, based off of his demeanor. But um, I think landing as actually, I mean, as of ye- yesterday, obviously he welcomed everything with open arms. Um, I think him being young is going to be different in that sense as well, because I think Cristobal was definitely one of those more traditional coaches in every sense of the word. And that includes, I don't think he enjoyed his media obligations, right? And so I think that Lanning is of the age group where they kind of understand a little bit more that that's not only a huge part of the job, but with recruits being so dialed into this, this digital age, um, you know, their inner, their post-game conferences are going to end up on someone's TikTok, on someone's YouTube feed, on someone's Twitter. They're going to be seeing that stuff. And so I think that Lanning's a little more in tune to that. Uh, I think it's just more of an age thing, though, not necessarily just specifically him. Uh, we'll see, though. Yesterday, he was obviously very welcoming to questions, as you need to be in your introductory press conference. But you know, I'm excited. I think he's going to be, I'm excited to learn more about him as well. I saw that interview that you did that you referenced uh, and there wasn't much, I could barely find any film of him speaking while the coordinator at Georgia. I'm excited to, to hear, you know, what he has to say after practice during the week coming. I'm really excited to hear, uh, you know, hear him get excited about the game plans that he's talking about implementing. Uh, I always enjoy when coaches kind of, you know, can put other media stuff aside for the answer of that question and really go X's and O's for a second. I think it's always very entertaining. So I'm excited for that aspect as well. I think he's going to be a fun interview though, regardless. I love hearing a uh, football talk, you know, from coaches. I think there was, there were definitely some moments when Mario was here that I would uh, ask him about offensive line or like, you know, what are you seeing from a certain group? And, you know, there's definitely terminology that just goes way over my head because I never played football at a high level. But um, I think that's when you can really see that they're, you know, their, their passion, uh, and, you know, uh, their expertise about a sport, you know, Alex Mirabal, heck, every time I talked to him, I was just like, I felt like I was just, you know, at the offensive line academy or, or whatever you right. want to call it. But he yeah. was definitely a, a character and, and um, uh, he was just probably one of my favorite coaches to cover on this staff. All right. Um, we'll get more questions here. This one's from David. Thanks for the question. What are the OC targets? I thought we would hear back from Dillingham today. Is he still in play? Yeah, he's the the biggest name that we're hearing right now as far as, uh, you know, someone with direct ties to um, Lanning. I think that, um, you know, I, was, I saw some reporter or something on Twitter about uh, he was at a Forest State meeting um, either this morning or yesterday. So still he was, as of that report, he was still in Tallahassee. Um, but at the same time, we don't necessarily know if that's indicative of his decision to stay or if he wants to come to Eugene but we can kind of dive in on this a little bit because I think that some of the questions that people have about Lanning is, is his coaching tree and how, how that's going to ultimately play into how he builds his staff and, and how he brings in people with, uh, with, with regard to building his program. Cause I think one of the things that I always admired about Mario was that he, you know, being on duck Twitter, you know, how antsy they can get, Um, you know, they, they want the, the recruits now they want the wins now and they want the hires to happen now. And I understand it because, you know, Oregon's a very high achieving program. So I can, you know, you can get what, where that would come from, but 
what I bring, what I meant to say is that Mario was always very methodical in his approach, uh, bringing guys in, vetting people extensively, even though there was all this noise and pressure from the fan base at times to, to make a hire. And, uh, you know, we talked about the the similarities between Mario and, and Lanning as far as their, their press conferences and their demeanor and what they were talking about. And he was saying, you know, I, I think that, like, you know, I hear that and I know this timing is pretty, pretty poor, especially when I have a team, uh, a defense that I have to help prepare for. Um, but he was saying, you know, right is better than is more important than fast. And I'm going to take my time to make sure that I'm bringing the right people on board um, to, to make this program a great one. So um, he's the, the, the main guy that we know that's actually tied to him. But I haven't seen a whole lot of other names that are kind of out there. I know Joe Brady was a name that a lot of people thought of kind of after he got hired. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm not sure how realistic Brady is right now. Are you hearing anything or seeing anything on Twitter? Mostly what I'm seeing is Dillingham. Um, I've seen, I, I don't know. Pipe dream is too strong of a word, but for that kind of thing for Brady, I don't think he's, I don't think he's really in play, but, uh, yeah, Dillingham is really what I've heard most, but I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be a rushed decision one. Cause yeah, he is focusing on that, that, you know, Georgia playoff game that he's got. Uh, but I, I wouldn't want him to to rush it, right? I think that I think that he's got a real opportunity. We've given him the keys. Clearly, he's got the keys to the bus. Nobody else is driving the bus. He's got the keys to the castle. So I think that we just kind of let him let him, you know, kind of recruit on his own if he has to for a while and make sure that that hire is the right hire because on the he's a defensive coach. So I really want to make sure that somebody on the offense is going to have the freedom to do what they want to do. Uh, I think that. So that could have been a little bit of a knock on Mario a little bit is that he kind of overstepped in his CEO duties a bit, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But um, yeah, I'd rather get it right than get it fast. I think the Oregon coaching search itself was sort of the same way, right? I was, I was dying all week waiting for them to make that hire. I was, it was the biggest refresh thing I had every single second of every single day, but I'm really glad it took as long as it did to find this guy because I think they made the right hire. So um, I think he should, you know, go slow, but yeah, overall in terms of rumors and such uh, Dillingham's, been leading the charge in terms of uh, smoke we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, yeah, so we'll we'll have to keep an eye on that one and seeing uh, what's going on about uh, bringing on a hire. Uh, question from Mikey G. Did Lanning add any specifics about when and where he'll be over the coming weeks for recruiting, all while coaching uh, during the playoff? Yeah, this is um, this is a, another one of those things that just kind of ties back into how hard the timing is with everything. Because you saw this last weekend, people were all these a lot of recruits were, were taking their final visits. Some of them officials, some of them unofficials. You you know, you saw Cyrus Moss going all the way across the country. You know, going starting at uh, USC in Los Angeles and flying all the way out to Miami to, to, you know, spend some time with Mario Cristobal over there. So obviously that's a, a big relationship that carries a lot of weight. Um, but as far as recruiting, I think he's going to be pretty limited to his phone uh, right now, seeing obviously that he's, um, you know, run it, run the defense at Georgia, but also because if you're looking at the, the NCAA uh, contact period, this is another thing I can probably try to bring up here to, you know, make a little bit more sense. Uh, for people who don't know, so it looks like uh, they're in a dead period right now. If you can see the screen here, um, December 13th through January 13th. And this is uh, just kind of what it said. Is it says, the seven days immediately before the first day of classes of the institution's second academic term that are not part of the contact period, uh, applicable only to prospective student athletes who intend to enroll mid-year. So basically, 
from now it looks like until um you know mid-january really it's going to be a um a quiet or dead period so um that's why you saw those coaches that were going in home and getting that final face time with a lot of these recruits to hopefully seal the deal or um you know make sure that guys were locked in so um i think as far as where he'll be i think he'll be with georgia pretty much until uh you know they either win it all or or lose against michigan and then get back to uh get back to eugene as a duck fan i kind of wonder where you're at because are you rooting for georgia because you want to see the defense do well or are you rooting for michigan because you want them to lose and, and get to work for oregon what do you think about that dynamic steven yeah i mean so from an oregon perspective i want them to do really well I want this defense to perform a dominating fashion. And I want us to be, I want basically every Oregon fan to be saying that is what we are getting right there, or that's what we can have. That's what we should shoot for. So there's that blueprint, right? Because that defense was all the talk of college football, the entire season up until Alabama did a dirty in the sec title game. So, you know, I think that this is an opportunity for them to redeem themselves. And I think that that energy uh, is going to translate over personally speaking, Max, I don't think you knew this about me, but I was raised by, uh, mother who was is a diehard Michigan Wolverine fan, a U of M grad. She never oh, missed okay. a football game at all when she was there. So I grew up rooting for the Wolverines. Uh, so personally, I'm actually going to be rooting for the boys out in Ann Arbor to pull that one off. But uh, in terms of in terms of with my duck hat on, uh, I want to see that defense dominate throughout uh, throughout the playoff. All right, and then um, got a question from. Uh... Sean Nichols, what about Feld? This means talking about Aaron Feld. Yeah, he, yeah, he's another one of those guys that that has been uh, rumored to be uh, following Mario to Miami. You know, he's a guy who has connections in the South. You know, your comment, Sean, and they have Georgia connections. Um, I think also it's another guy that makes a lot of sense, right? When you're looking at kind of the identity of a program, a lot of that is rooted in the the strength and conditioning coach, uh, and you know the kind of bodies that Mario wanted to build while he was here, and then certainly is going to want to build at Miami, right? You know, those huge big big guys that that can uh you know you know run you over so i feel like it's it's not finalized and it hasn't been announced but i think it's probably pretty safe to safe to think that uh felt's going to be following him over there yep. um this question from todd from todd any chance of getting dan's brother jordan on staff somewhere maybe his twitter space rep so i know you're new to twitter steven do you, you know have you heard the buzz about all this did you get yeah. to partake in any of the twitter spaces before landing became official yeah, I was actually uh, in the one with his brother a little bit. Um, it, I, I loved it. Uh, I thought that it was – you don't get that insight very often, right? And and Coach Lanning said that at the presser that he hadn't heard about that entire interaction until I believe right before he said he came out. I'm not sure if I buy that. Um, I'm sure he probably had to get a little bit of a blessing from his brother there to be able to spill those kind of details and that kind of thing. I don't think he was completely rogue, but um, – I would love to have that guy more involved, right? I mean, it got so many eyes on the program. Rob Mullins got into that chat. Um, if we can get, if we, that's something that I think Oregon can capitalize on specifically, right? Like it's a brand that is, it's more than nationally known. It's it's known worldwide. It is. Um, I've I've heard stories of uh, buddies buddies of mine who are fellow alum, and uh, I never studied abroad or anything like that, but they did, and they would literally show me pictures of the Duck O in Prague in you know, England, Germany. So, I mean, this brand is huge. I think that that only helps the brand and uh, I'd love to get him involved. Yeah. Those, those were super fun. I was in a, a handful of them uh, over the weekend yeah. um, and, you know, before and after he got hired, I, I got to run my, my own space and, and it's really cool to see how many people hop in there so quickly. And, and, you know, people have been talking about it as far as like, it's kind of like uh, old time radio. It's kind of like you're at a sports bar. It's like a little bit of different vibes, uh, a little bit of, you know, mixture of, of different vibes, I should say. Um, I really liked it. I think the thing that I learned is that you can't allow too many people to speak at once. So I'm kind of trying to figure out, you know, do I want to do that one-on-one -on -one kind of deal where uh, followers, you know, ask me a question and then they're muted and then I answer it, or do I approve a bunch of people and then we're all going because then it can get really messy really quick. But that was super cool. And we're definitely going to have to do uh, some of those spaces moving forward. And you know, maybe you and me can co-host one of those. I'm assuming it'll kind of work the same way as these YouTube lives do just, you know, let them know when we're going live and, and make it happen. So it's a really cool way to, to build community uh, with, with the duck fan base. Um, let's see here. Question from David, you learn the hard lessons of how to switch and pick staff at smaller schools. Any concern for a young coach to make the tough hire decisions? 
What do you think about that one? I think it's a great question. Uh, one that I haven't really pondered too much, I got to say. But um, again, I think it goes back to the trust that we're placing in this guy, right? We all know that he's a young coach with not much experience on paper, no head coaching experience on paper, right? So we get that. Uh, but I think he understands and he's, he's, he's definitely been around guys who have made those tough decisions, right? Nick Saban sure isn't shying away from a tough decision based, based on players or personnel. Same with coach Kirby smart. So I, th I think that we just have to go in and blindly trust when it comes to this aspect, right? None of us are in that building uh, when it comes to those conversations and those conversations are generally kept pretty close to the best in terms of the program itself and the people involved with them. So I don't have a, a real concern about it just because I'm going in here with the glass more than half full when it comes to that situation. So it's a legitimate question. I haven't given it any concern. Sure. Yeah. And I think one thing that I think back to uh, was actually along the lines of kind of this question that he got asked in the, in the press conference was he was saying, you know, when he was reflecting on his journey as a coach, he was saying, you know, when I was in those meetings, when, when I was under other coaches, uh, you know, as a, as an assistant, I was kind of asking myself those questions, you know, who would I bring in if I was making those hires, how would I run the show if, if I was, if this was my team. So I think that that was one of the really cool things that I appreciated about his press conference yesterday was just talking about how he's been preparing for this moment for, for his, you know, entire coaching career. Cause he was saying at every stop that I've had, I've always been, you know, wondering what's next. And um, you know, a lot of people were, were skeptical about, uh, you know, him maybe leaving um, with regard to, um, you know, Mario and Willie both leaving for bigger jobs but because he was at a smaller school it's like you know this could be the last stop for him so uh, i can't remember if i said that in this uh, podcast or my or my last podcast so sorry if that's repetitive but I, I mean i can understand the concern because he hasn't done it before but at the same time he's been around really good coaches and he's gonna know what what uh what ask what uh, aspects to look for what characteristics and traits he wants to see in his guys who's gonna work well with him um and then maybe he's gonna be able to you know like we've said with the coaching tree tap into some of those roots that he's had. So I also think it's encouraging that he's not going to rush into things. So I have a little bit more confidence there. Next question, how many commits are planning to sign with Oregon this week? It's not too many, uh, you know, not looking for a big splash not expecting a big splash rather uh, on Wednesday, early signing day. Um, there were reports of Harrison Taggart um, planning to sign, I believe. And then Devin Jackson, a linebacker out of Nebraska. Yeah, if you're watching this on YouTube or listening, um, I have an awesome interview with him that I did. So go ahead and, and uh, look at that video. If you want to you know, get to know him a little bit better, his dad's actually, his dad actually went to, um, I don't think he went to Oregon state, but I think he was from Corvallis and he was telling the story about how his dad said, I've never, I don't ever see myself coming back to Oregon. And then now Devin's going to be coming in as a duck. So, uh, that's a name to watch. Um, and then Sir Mel is a big time defensive lineman out of a huge defensive lineman out of Nevada. I believe he's signing as well. So kind of got to see what else T-Mac is reportedly going to be signing uh, on Wednesday. But uh, obviously we have to kind of follow along and see what else is going on there. And then that just kind of all goes back to what we were talking about earlier, Stephen, where it's uh, it's a good thing that some of these guys, if they're still committed and they're not signing, uh, it still gives them an opportunity to, uh, to, you know, for the staff to, to build that relationship. Sorry, I, I took that one off the screen. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? Yeah. I mean, just, just like you said, I'm encouraged that we've got that additional time to go for anybody and it will have conversations that are, you know, not signing on the dotted line tomorrow, but also not signing anywhere else tomorrow. So um, yeah, it's not too many commits. Last I saw hard commits was, I don't know. I've seen nine, I've seen 11. It keeps switching. So something around that number, uh, but we'll see. Yes. And then, uh, Warren has a great comment here that goes back to what we were talking about with the last question um, about the uh, hiring process. So I think this is probably taken from uh, from the press conference. Uh, Warren said, uh, in quotes, as a coordinator, player assistant or recruiting coordinator, I always took every position to prepare for the next. And this is no different. Uh, and then this is Dan, is Dan Lanning using this job to prepare for his next job? OK, so, yeah, I. I think that when I read that, I was thinking it could support my last point and then it, it went into a different question. But I think it still makes sense. You know, he's been preparing for this for a long time and he said that he could he views this as a as a final stop. And he doesn't really think that, um, you know, this is is uh, going uh, to develop into another job opportunity. I mean, the only thing I could maybe think of would be the NFL. 
um, potentially, but he, he said as much yesterday. And I think that really probably should should uh, give a lot of fans confidence. He's saying, I'll, I want to be here as long as I can, as long as we're going to have me. Yep. Yep. I mean, yeah, you're right. He said as much uh, yesterday. His brother said that his entire goal, his entire life has been to become a head coach at a premier program. So he's got that now. I think the only thing I'd be worried about potentially is the NFL, but I think that would only happen if he wins and wins big in years one through three and four, maybe. So I'm not worried about a dream job potential like it happened with Taggart and what happened with Mario. I think the NFL is probably the biggest concern, but that would be because he's winning. So I would potentially make that trade off. Yeah. So it's, it's worth it, you know, taking that, uh, taking that risk to, to get a guy that, that has some solid experience, even though it's not at the head coaching level. Um, still working my way through the, the live chat. And I think I've, I've caught up to a lot of them. Um, Mike said, Hey Max, thanks for all that you do. Appreciate you, Mike. Thank you for, thank you for the support and uh, tuning in. Um, it's always uh, great to, to interact with you guys and already coming up on 45 minutes, man. There's a, you think that, uh, you know, people are excited about bringing in a new coach, huh, Steven? Yeah. I think uh, people are a little pumped out here in Eugene. Yeah, they definitely are. Um, Let's see what else. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll keep an eye on that chat box to see if you guys have any more questions or, or comments. Um, just while we're here, I'm going to just to plug kind of what's going on tomorrow. Uh, we'll have um, a signing day tracker story um, to get any updates going out of there. Um, and I think we can also zoom out a little bit and see what's going on with the uh, Pac-12. I feel like USC is going to make a splash, obviously, with Lincoln Riley there. Um, and uh, maybe DeBoer will get some more um, – some more steam on the recruiting trail. We could talk about Washington for a second. Um, some of the news that they had out of Seattle today, they landed uh, Indiana transfer quarterback, Michael Penix, um, which I think was probably encouraging for them to see uh, because a lot of people thought it was going to be Hayner. That was going to be following DeBoer uh, up to Seattle, returning to Seattle um, exact actually. But um, I think that that's definitely an important position for them to, to hit on because uh Dylan Morris, I feel like he's pretty limited as a quarterback. And then Sam Heward got thrown in at the end of the Apple Cup, which was uh, pretty uh, pretty ugly. I was, I was, I think I was flying back uh, to Eugene or flying back to San Jose that night, um, and the Apple Cup was pretty bad. But um, what do you make of that move with, with Penix going to uh, UW? Yeah, I think to say that University of Washington was offensively challenged this past season would be an incredibly nice way to say it. Uh, so Penix is a good move. I mean, you know, w- watching Michigan games, uh, back home with my mom, uh, whenever they played Indiana, uh, the past few years, he played them tough. Uh, I know he played Ohio state tough a couple times as well. Indiana was in the mix past two, not this season so much, but the, uh, like the year before that. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're not a bad team and, uh, Penix played really well. He had a lot of buzz around him. Uh, he was hurt on and off this past season. Uh, so I, I think it's, I think it's a good move for them. I'm, he's a good player. Yeah, so we'll we'll see how the the rest of the um, you know Pac-12 picture shakes out. Um, I feel like Delora at Washington, he's probably settled in there as a pretty entrenched starter. Uh, Oregon State, we'll see if they keep rolling with uh, Chance Nolan. I mean, the Oregon quarterback question is probably one of the biggest ones that a lot of people have right now, aside from uh, the Kenny Kenny Dillingham hire that we're maybe going to be seeing here soon. And we're still waiting for a official word on, on uh, Dillingham and, and what his next move is for those of you that are just joining us. Um, you know, there's been uh, reports that, that uh, Oregon is targeting Dillingham to be the next offensive coordinator, but we're still awaiting word on that right now, as we're recording this five forty six on a Tuesday evening. So that's kind of the latest update that we have there is that there is no update. We don't know if he's uh if he's coming to join Oregon or not, but, I think it would be a, a, a pretty good, you know, decision for him as far as, you know, having the opportunity to, to you know, look at the roster that Oregon has and, and work with some some uh, really promising quarterback talent, which kind of leads into our next question um, from Gary. Um, oh, wait, sorry. Oh, yeah, no, we'll, we'll tackle it. Uh, we going to get uh, an offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator soon. Who are they looking at? The So, yeah, we have. As far as that goes, uh, Dillingham is the one for offense, but the one that has kind of emerged, it's um, it's kind of been rumored is, is Tosh Lapoy uh, is being uh, kind of looked at as a defensive coordinator, um, a defensive coordinator that a candidate 
for a landing staff. And I feel like with Tosh Lapoy, he's a, a name that has been circled around for a long, long time uh, around the Oregon circle. You know, every time that, yep. that there's a new coaching, uh, a new coaching hire, uh, as far as the head coach goes, I feel like his name gets brought up. What, what do you think about that? Is, is that a name you're familiar with, Steven? Yeah, no, I've heard the buzz around uh, Lapoy. Again, you've said it's been like that for a while. Um, I, I've, I actually... I've heard a number of folks who are pretty based off of no evidence, uh, pretty, you know, set that uh, landing might call the defensive play calls himself. Uh, what do you, have you heard anything about that? What do you think about that? I haven't, I haven't heard anything about that just yet. I mean, it, it would, it would make some sense. Um, I, but we don't know what kind of a head coach he's going to be, right. That kind of right. feeds into the unknown. Is he going to be a kind of the CEO guy who assembles his staff Right. And kind of, uh, you know, his hands off and lets them do their thing. Or is he going to be someone who really takes the reins and, you know, leaves his his own imprint on it? Because I feel like Mario was kind of the CEO kind of guy, but couldn't get out of his own way sometimes. And, and yeah. obviously you saw that hinder the offense this year. Yeah, I'm not sure which I'd prefer, to be honest with you, right? Like Mario was definitely of the CEO variety. Um, Chip, I think he had Helfrick as the OC, right? But I think he was a little bit more involved in those offensive decisions. Uh, I don't know. Uh, half the time I watch a Cardinals game, I'm impressed that Cliff Kingsbury's calling the, his own plays. And the other half, I think he's getting in his own way too much of the time. And coordinators <laughs> or coaches who call their own plays get a little bit too cute sometimes, right? And sometimes they need a coordinator to check them. So I'm not really sure what he's going to do. I would like... I guess I'd like to see him make a good hire there and kind of take a more CEO kind of level, especially if he's going to be here for the long term, right? Um, let's bring in some new blood. Let's get this into a coordinator pumping house. Definitely. I, I really like that about um, about just making it a factory for coordinators because that kind of ensures some stability at the, uh, you know, at the um, head coaching spot. 100%. But, uh, but yeah, what really gets me excited about Lapoy if he ultimately that you know comes to fruition um, would be he's an elite recruiter. He's got those West Coast oh, yeah. ties. Um, I can look here just on um, look at some of these names that that he's landed uh, as as a college recruiter. You know, you have Najee Harris, who's absolutely tearing it up um, for uh, the Steelers now. Uh, you know, for you guys who are watching this that aren't uh, familiar with this page, you know, you're looking at all the all the, all the best players that Tosh Lapoy has uh, recruited, um, either been the primary or secondary recruiter. This is a really cool feature that 247 has um, yeah, that's on awesome. their site. Uh, Shaq Thompson, who is a, you know, he's a Washington guy. Keenan Allen, uh, one of the top receivers in the NFL. Dylan Moses, Mac Wilson, Wilson. Jonah Williams, Tua, Jalen Waddell. Like if, if you can get him on the staff, I mean, just imagine having Landing and Tosh in, in the living room together, and, Don Johnson. Know, given, and Don Johnson, you know, and I think that would just be uh man, that, that just gets me excited as a guy who, who covers recruiting, just to continue seeing those big names, you know, still be, um, you know, still have Oregon in the, in the running for, for some of these top guys. Um, let's see. Next question we have here is from Quack Attack 49er. How much influence does Lanning have over who, who plays quarterback in the Alamo Bowl? Um, I mean, considering that Lane, that uh, Lanning's not really uh, – well, considering that he's uh, coaching in Georgia and, you know, McClendon's going to be the interim, I'd say pretty much none. I, I would kind of yeah. think of it, right? You know, but that's what's so weird about the timing of this hire and the bowl game that they're in. You know, the Alamo Bowl is a pretty decent bowl, but it just feels like – at least to me, it's like I'm kind of ready to get on to next year and just see what yeah. Dan Lanning's team's going to look like, what the program's going to look like. So yeah. I would think that it's not very much uh, – wouldn't have very much say um, in, in this upcoming game for Oregon in the Alamo Bowl, which is uh, two weeks from tomorrow. Yep, I agree. I've I've sort of started looking to next year as well, just in terms of the excitement factor alone, uh, which, which is kind of sad, right? O Oregon, Oklahoma in the Alamo Bowl. That's something that if not all this noise was happening at both schools, really, with the with the changes going on in the coaching staff, I think it'd be a huge game that everybody's talking about. But it seems like everything's kind of been overshadowed by uh, what's going on in both with Norman. Uh, both out in Norman, Oklahoma, and uh, in Southern California, and that connection, and then with what's going on here with Cristobal leaving and bringing in Landing, it's just been bigger news than just the game itself. So, um, but yeah, I don't think he's going to have really any influence. You're right; he's focused on Georgia. I think he's really putting his full attention into that in terms of the coaching aspect. Recruiting aspect is definitely going to be focused on Oregon, obviously. Um, 
but yeah, we've got we've got an interim head coach already named. Uh, I I don't see him having too much influence. So definitely a uh, question from Gary Max. What coaches do you think we can or will retain? We talked about this a little bit earlier in the show. Um, so Gary, not sure if you if you missed on that out on that maybe, but uh, I already talked about McClendon. I think being a priority for them to retain. And I think that the administration thought as much when they gave him the, the interim title, right? Yeah. Um, I think that, that that definitely bodes well or suggests that they could do that. Um, but there have been reports that uh, that Miami wants him pretty badly, so we got to see what's going on there. Um, but I also think that you know Rod Chance has done a pretty solid job with the corners. He's another young, relatable guy. He has Florida ties, so you're looking – that's been one of my biggest wants for this staff uh, for really since Mario was here was um, – get back into Florida. I think that's huge. You look at Brandon Dorless. Can you imagine having five Brandon Dorlisses, you know, sprinkled throughout yep. your team or just people of that caliber? Those Florida guys are just different. Um, and then also um, Jim Mastro. He's another guy uh, that I think we haven't heard too much about. Those running backs have been great for Oregon. And I think that the weird situation about it all, you look at seven McGee saying he was going to enter the portal and then he met with landing and he said, he's not going to enter the portal every running back on this year's roster could play again next year. Like that just absolutely blows my mind. Like I didn't think about CJ having any more eligibility, but he still does because of the COVID year. year. And then I feel like, I feel like he's probably going to go just because he has, he's, he's already, you know, gotten injured a bunch and you know, he's, he's played a lot of football, but Travis Dye kind of seems like a wild card. If we're, um, you know, talking about Mastro and the running backs here. Yep. Um, I think McClendon, obviously Salvea, um, Mastro for sure, uh, dies definitely a wild card in terms of coming back, but I do think he's going to come back. I think honestly, he just needs to get physically bigger before he's going to go to the NFL with how hard he hits the hole. He's going to get, uh, he's going to get banged around a little bit. So I think he'll be back. Um, you know, back to an earlier question as well. I would love to see him retain coach Feld. I don't think it's going to happen though. Uh, everything I've been seeing on Miami message board specifically is that it's pretty much a done deal. It's already been offered. Uh, and it's just, uh, matter of semantics at this point i know he's still in eugene uh follow him on instagram and i know he's been you know in the in town right but um i i would not be surprised if feld goes which would suck i love i love coach feld i think he's done great things but just to bring eyes on the program right um and i think he's done great stuff with the with the with the players uh they all love him everybody who's who makes a statement about oregon on twitter whether if it's from leaving or graduating or anything like that they make him they mention coach feld so i'd love to see him retain but i don't think he's going to stay yeah, we'll have to uh, we'll keep you updated on that. You know, once the uh, announcements come out about you know contract extensions or or new contracts, so make sure to stay tuned uh, over Dutch Digest uh, to see what's going on there. Um, kind of winding down the show now, so make sure you guys get your questions out here to see if we can uh, tackle a couple more before we leave. Man, Stephen, this has been great so far. I mean, we got a couple more questions to answer, but it's been cool having you on here and, and just getting your perspective here. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. I can't believe we've already uh, been on for almost an hour. Time truly flies when you're having a good time, brother. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's been fun. Uh, Mikey G has another question. Realistic to expect three losses next year with all of the turnover and uh, young quarterback thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's hard to, to look too forward into next year because we still have to see NFL draft decisions. We still have to see what the um, recruiting class is going to look like. We still have to see what the staff's going to look like. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if I, let's see. I mean, that, that Georgia game is going to be really tough. I think yeah. BYU is going to be, be a tough out. I mean, I'm not putting them on the same level of Georgia, but I'm just looking at, at games that, that they have to play. They don't have to play USC next year, uh, unless they meet in the title game, which was kind of interesting. I was looking at the schedule last night and they have UCLA again. Um, but I think it, for, if what I remember is correct, let me see if I can pull it up here. I think that this year their tough games really came on the road but i think next year a lot of their um their tough games come at home which is obviously you know a tremendous advantage for for anybody when you look at austin stadium random side note uh another thing that i think was good about landing's uh, press conference was that he didn't uh, mispronounce austin um although i don't really think that you would but you know or eugene yeah (laughs) so that was good uh, I want, I know when I was uh, at Gonzaga for the longest time, I thought it was Spokane, not Spokane. So, um, yeah, he did himself some favors there by uh, making sure he pronounced everything correctly. Um, but, yeah, looking at home games for Oregon next year, they have Stanford at home, UCLA at home. <clears throat> UCLA at home. My throat's getting dry, excuse me. 
Utah at home. That's that's going to be a huge game. And Washington at home. Uh, and then, you know, home games for Oregon State and Washington State. So, um, I'd say, you know, two, two, three losses, early projections. It's, I mean, it's almost not even worth saying it right now because we, there's so much unknown. Yep, I agree. I mean, I think the Georgia game is obviously a toss-up you know, at least, right? I mean, that's going to be a really tough game, especially since that's technically a neutral site, but I mean, it's in Atlanta. So I would consider that a home game for Georgia. Um, BYU, again, is also, like you said, it's going to be a tough out. Uh, the home schedule next year is really exciting. It's going to be it's going to be rocking at Autzen. I'm very excited uh, with Washington coming in, uh, with UCLA coming in, Stanford coming in, want to get revenge uh, for that debacle over there at the farm this past season. So um, I think three – it's weird because Oregon's at a point, and Max, you and I have talked about this, where – it's almost like a, a playoff berth is the only acceptable thing. Rose Bowl isn't even enough, it seems like. And so uh, three losses, I think I, – I honestly think that people are going to expect less than that. I think we're going to be all right with one with Georgia. I honestly wouldn't be shocked if some if some people really th- expect us to run the table uh, with that or after that Georgia game next year heading into the Pac-12 title. Um, and then – in terms of the young quarterback situation, everything I've heard out of Ty Thompson's kind of camp is that he's staying, which I'm thrilled about that kid. When he throws the ball, it looks like it's on a string. So I, uh, I'm very excited to see him and what he can do next year. So if Ty Thompson really gets it going and they air the ball out, I could see us maybe one loss, possibly two, but yeah, expectations wise, I don't think people are going to expect anything more than three. That's for sure. Yeah. And staying on the, the quarterbacks, just a couple more questions for uh, for us here on the Ducks Dish podcast. Uh, Mike asks, uh, kind of along the similar lines with young quarterbacks, Max, what do you know about Ty Thompson? What's the buzz around him? Is he good or has a ways to go? Yeah, I mean, what I can tell you about Ty Thompson is that he's a really, really bright young guy. Um, you know, I covered him extensively before he got to Oregon. Um, you know, there I did some, some Zoom interviews with him, which was really fun. Uh, he's looked really encouraging, I feel like, from the action that I've been able to see um for him as far as uh from him i should say you know the ball looks really good coming off his hand i think that was one of the biggest differences that i I kind of stood out to me when i looked at um you know anthony brown and ty thompson just the ball coming out of ty's hand just had so much more zip to it um he's incredibly mobile in the pocket and he has that pocket presence one of the biggest things i look for steven is when you're looking at a guy who's you could classify as dual threat especially when they're young can they stay in the pocket or are they just looking to bolt out of their, their, the first opportunity? Because I think you miss out on a lot of big plays and, and a lot of yards when you're going out of the pocket too soon. Yep. But I think um, what I, I, those are some of the things I really like about Ty and the poise, right? You know, you think about guys like Marcus and, and Justin Herbert, um, how, how poised they were at such a young age. Uh, and I think that's definitely one of the things that has me excited about Ty. If, if he wins the job next year, you know, um, he's the only guy that we've really seen this, a very small sample size from, you know, half of a football against Stony Brook, but who's to say that Jay Butterfield and, and Robbie Ashford, um, you know, they're going to want to have a say in that QB competition as well. And what if they bring in a transfer? Who knows? Yep. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if they bring in a transfer. I think Ty is probably the leading guy heading into the off season, assuming all stays the same. I think one of the three is going to transfer out of Thompson, Ashford and Butterfield. I don't think all three of them are going to stay. Um, but yeah, like you said, and like I mentioned, when Ty throws the ball, it looks like there's a string on it. He's got incredible zip. The composure's there. And yeah, with those dual threat quarterbacks, I think an important thing too is when they do get out of the pocket, when they are forced to, do they settle it down before they throw and get into that pocket motion with their feet set outside of the pocket, turn their hips, or do they throw, you know, off of one foot heading out of bounds? Uh, like we saw Anthony Brown, unfortunately, too, a couple of times uh, this season, right? So um, from what I've seen in his limited action uh, at Austin this year, when he played, he did exactly that when he did get out of the pocket, was able to get in there, square his feet, uh, throw from his hips. So he's also got a really tight motion. Um, but Butterfield and Ashfield are, and Ashford can throw the ball around, too. They can really sling the rock. Uh, Ashford, I believe, is on the baseball team as well, right? So he's got some zip in there, uh, and he's a natural athlete. Obviously, you're not a great athlete if you're playing two division one sports at a premier program. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. I don't think all three of them stay though next year. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll have to watch that uh, quarterback competition and see what ultimately happens. Um, 
before we get out of here, Stephen, uh, you know, we're going to hopefully be doing more of these live shows, podcasts or videos together. Um, you know, what, uh, where can people find more of you? Yeah. So like Max said earlier, I just joined the Twitter, the Twitter sphere. So I'm at SB sports five, four, one over on Twitter, going to be establishing a YouTube channel as well, pretty soon here to just be uploading these kind of videos and stuff, uh, kind of syncing it up with Max. So we're going to be working together though in the future. So just keep an eye on Max's page. Uh, shoot me a follow as well. would really appreciate it. We'd love to grow that. And, uh, I look forward to joining you Max in future, uh, future conversations. I'm really excited about this year, uh, about where this program is headed and about, uh, the hire of coach Lanning. I think big things ahead for the ducks. Absolutely. Well, uh, if you guys want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter at the name on your screen at mtaurus sports. If you're watching in the live stream, uh, have a big favor to ask of you. Just go ahead and subscribe to the channel, please. That little red box on your screen really helps me keep doing what uh what I want here and and getting to uh, cover the ducks, which is you know what I really enjoy doing. And um, yeah, so go ahead and subscribe to the channel, and then you can also find me uh at ducksdigest.com. We got stories coming out all the time. Uh, we have Dan Lane's contract. We have more stuff coming out of his presser and, you know, kind of the vision that he has for the program. And then you can find us on all our other social media platforms at Ducks Digest. So go ahead and hit the like button and we will see you guys in the next episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Thanks so much for watching and listening. Take care.